I, I know it's only the first week of February, but after how cold January was, I think we all need a trip to the beach, right? And uh, so, so let's just kind of start there. Kind of put yourself at the beach, if you would. Imagine yourself at the beach. Uh, you've got the, the warm sun. Imagine that. Remember what that feels like? Uh, the warm sun, you know, uh, you know, you feel that on your skin. Uh, you've got, uh, you've got the, you know, sand in your toes. You've got a beverage of your choice, you know, in your hand. You've got a good book, you know. Um, you've got the, uh, just the, uh, the sounds of the, the waves just, you know, uh, hitting the shore, crashing, crashing against the shore. You know, just kind of put yourself there for a moment. You know, you've got the sound of the seagulls. You've got kids playing in the background. Uh, you know, maybe you get up from your chair, your umbrella, and you go out to, you know, the ocean, maybe to cool off or go to the restroom. And uh, don't pretend you don't do it. I mean, if the fish can be in the ocean, surely we can too. But um, it's just don't make eye contact while you do it. So, um, but everybody knows what you're doing. Um, but uh, so, so that's what's happening. But we also, we all know what it's like to kind of go out into the ocean and, uh, and then start to drift, right? I mean, a, a, a drift is uh, defined as, you know, to be carried along, uh, along as by a current of water or wind or air, like if you're in a hot air balloon. And um, the, the danger of drifting, either uh, spiritual or otherwise, is it's just so subtle, isn't it? It's just so subtle and so comfortable um, that, uh, that as you drift, you don't even know. We don't even know that we're drifting. And, and some of us, we know that panic of when we realize that we've uh, you know, drifted too far away from safety or we know that panic when we realize that our kids have drifted too far from the shore, too far from safety. And then suddenly, you know, we, we realize the waves are coming at us higher and, and, and faster and, you know, they're pulling us farther and further out to where we really want to go. And, you know, we frantically try to swim where we can, you know, touch the bottom, but, but the waves just keep coming at us, coming at us. And we're searching the, you know, the shore for, for someone, anyone to see our distress only to have another wave crash over us and now our, our, our arms and our legs are feeling like logs and we feel ourselves sinking and we're frantically, frantically trying to get to where we can touch and we finally, our feet finally find the surface and we kind of go walk up to the shore and we've realized just how dangerous it is to drift. You know, uh, one mark of... Uh, of a Christian who is maturing in their faith is, is to realize, is to learn that none of us passively drift towards Jesus, okay? It just doesn't happen. We don't passively drift towards Jesus. We're either swimming towards Jesus or we're drifting away from Jesus. And in order to swim towards Jesus, it takes grace-driven effort. And then this morning, Paul, he gives us three um, grace-driven efforts, three categories that, that uh, we, can, we can swim uh, for Jesus and his gospel. Let me just give them to you up front, okay? Uh, and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But this is what Paul writes, three grace-driven, grace-driven efforts. He says we need to work out our salvation. We need to work on serving the word of life. 
And we need to work on serving with joy. So with grace effort, grace-driven effort. In other words, we don't do these things to, to earn our way into God's presence. We don't do these things to get God to love us more. We don't do these things to tip the scale our way. This is grace-driven effort. It is only by the grace of God that we do these things, that we work out our salvation, we work on serving the word of life, and we work on serving with joy. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, I wanna encourage you to continue to read along during the week. We're gonna be in Philippians chapter two next week, so read it three times this week. Look for the different names and characteristics of God. Look for uh, promises uh, that God makes. Look for commands that we need to obey and just see how God would prepare our hearts um, we're in the middle of this study on Philippians called True Confidence. And, and we've said every week, there's a lot of things we can put our confidence, right? I mean, we can put our confidence in, in a position, a job, an income, a relationship, a friendship, our wealth, our health, our youth, our hair, whatever it is, it's all gonna fail us at some point, right? It's all gonna, I mean, yeah, some of you guys know, some of you guys know, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's all gonna fail us. In fact, it's temporary, and the only thing that can really give us true confidence that lasts is Jesus Christ. It's our relationship with him through faith in what he's done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. So let's, uh, let's talk about uh, this work out our salvation, and here's the other side of that that we need to work out our salvation knowing that God is at work in us. That we work out our salvation knowing that God is at work in us. Knowing that God at work in us, that's the grace-driven effort part, okay, as we're gonna see. So Philippians chapter two, beginning verse 12. He says, therefore... Okay, in other words, in light of everything he's been saying about opposition, in light of everything he's been saying about unity, in light of everything he's been saying about conduct ourselves, live ourselves as like citizens of the kingdom of God, of a forever kingdom here on this temporary kingdom. In light of everything I said about striving together, about locking arms and walking in unity, in light of everything that he said about the grace that's granted us to actually suffer for Jesus, and to, and to walk towards discomfort and not obsess over comfort in light of, of not doing anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, valuing others above ourselves, taking on the role of a servant like Jesus Christ did for us in light of all that. That's what therefore means. Therefore, my dear friends, I mean, he is using tender, loving language here. He's writing to this church in Philippi 10 years after he helped plant this church. He hasn't seen them in 10 years. And now he's locked up in a Roman cell, chained to a Roman guard. And, but his love for this group of people has just grown through the years. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue and underline this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So when we think about it, salvation is defined as the preservation or deliverance for harm, ruin, or loss. That, that's what salvation means. It's the preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. And in the Christian world, it's deliverance from sin and its consequences through faith in Jesus. 
is put in our faith that Jesus came and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. And Paul says that we need to work out our salvation. In other words, what he's saying is, is that we need to use, we need to apply, we need to allow our faith to grow. That it, it, he's been talking about opposition and he's saying, hey, in these moments of opposition, work out your salvation. Use the things that you've discovered and learned and that you've been taught. Paul says, he says, and do this with fear and trembling. Now there's two different camps for fear and trembling. One camp of theologians, of commentaries say that to work out our, our, our salvation with fear and trembling means in awe and reverence of who God is. And, and, and you know, that, that's a legitimate translation. But, but there's a, a, another translation that, I, that or another a camp that, that I, I feel like this is where Paul is going and not based on what I think, it's based on what people are way smarter than me think. Um, but the words that Paul uses here, now keep in mind, we're reading Philippians all at once and we're remembering the themes that he's, that he's been talking about. And, and the words that he uses for fear and trembling um, are phobos and tromos in the Greek. Phobos is where we get our English word for phobia or fear. And tromos is where we get our English word for trauma. Now, Paul's been talking about opposition. He's been talking about all the things that, that we're afraid of. All, all the things that, uh, that would cause us suffering. He's been talking about opposition and how our faith grows. There are opportunities through opposition to cause our faith grow. And Paul is saying, hey, work out your faith. Allow your faith to grow. Allow your faith to grow stronger, even in the midst of fear and trembling, even in the midst of fear and trauma, even when things don't go according to plan, even in this painful season, work out your salvation. Now, Paul is also, he's writing this at about the same time that the, the, uh, the, king, the emperor Nero uh, of Rome, he, uh, he's having Christians burned alive at the stake and using them as torches to light up the streets at night in Rome, okay? So, so there is a lot of opposition and there is a lot of fear and trembling fear and, and, and trauma. And, and, and Paul is saying, I know it's difficult. I know it's scary. I know things are coming against you, but stay in the fight. Exercise your salvation and let it grow even in the midst of this opposition. So, so what are you, so, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's easy, easier to, to be a Christian when everything is going, going smoothly and everything's going according to plan and you know, we don't really have any problems. But then when tragedy strikes or trauma strikes or a fear becomes reality or, or something happens that wasn't in you know, your plan and all of a sudden, what are we gonna do? We all know someone who's experienced some opposition and they just turned away from their faith. They just turned away, they're back on God, said, man, they're, they're mad at God and they let that anger, and by the way, God's big enough to take on your anger. It's okay to be mad at God. It's not okay to stay mad at God. But, but to press into God, some people just walked away, walked away from God, walked away from church, walked away from community, and, they, they, and it's been 20, 30 years, and they stopped in the midst of opposition. Some people press in to God in opposition. And that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. He's telling us to, to press in to the gospel during moments of opposition, during moments of fear. 
and trembling. He says, so work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, his, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, I mean, God did all the saving to rescue us from our sin. He's gonna do all the transforming. He's, he's gonna transform us into the image of Christ if, if we'll put in the gospel, uh, the grace-driven effort. If we'll put ourselves in situations to allow the word of God to, to grow. That's what you're doing right here. We're gathering together, having the word of God taught to us and we're putting that in our hearts and in our minds. You know, we, we, we talked about this in our home group a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we, we transitioned from, you know, everything happens for a reason to God wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. He's, not, he's going to do this work. He's gonna take everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, and he's gonna work it to fulfill his good purpose. And so Paul is saying, work out your salvation even when it's uncomfortable, even when you're facing opposition, even when you're afraid, even when you're facing trauma and, and devastation and tragedy, press into God. Work, your, work out your salvation. So Secondly, Paul says, work on serving the word of life, not words of death. Work on serving the word of life, not words of death. Look at verse 14. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Or maybe your translation says, without complaining or arguing. Okay? Now, now listen, th this is for us. Okay, this is for me. This, this is for you. Not just our kids, okay? In fact, this is one of those scriptures, do everything without grumbling or arguing. We, we, we you know, are grumbling or complaining and we could just stop right here and spend the next 15 minutes sitting in silence thinking about all the times that we complain, all the times we grumble, all the times we argue, but we're not gonna do that because some of you would complain about that. <laughs> but he says, do everything without complaining or arguing or, or grumbling. Now the words that Paul uses here, complaining and arguing are echoes from the nation of Israel way back in the Old Testament when they're wandering around in the wilderness. Remember the storyline series? It's all connected. And, and, and the, the people of Israel, they wandered around in the wilderness, in the desert, and they pretty much complained the whole time. Look at verse 15. It says, uh, so do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Now that word, that phrase, warped and crooked generation, it's the same, Paul uses the same phrase that's used in Deuteronomy 32 to describe God's people in the wilderness, okay? So he goes on. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, now this, 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 this word that he uses, hold firmly, it's, it's really literally translated as, as to hold, to hold uh, holding forth. And it's a word picture in the Greek 
of, um, of holding out wine to serve at a wedding. So how, how many of you uh, ha- have been a waiter or server before, right? Now, now, one of your main jobs as a waiter or server is to make sure everyone's glasses stay full, right? And so and when we go to restaurants, that, I mean, that, that's the bottom line, okay, for me. I, I mean, the food can take a long time. Uh, you know, it, it, it can even come out wrong. I'm not gonna complain. I'm not gonna send it back. But my pet peeve, keep my glass full, okay? That's all I ask. And so, but, but what Paul is saying here, he's saying, hey, we as, as brothers and sisters, as Christians, we need to go about like we're servers. And as a server, like if you were a server at a, at a wedding, you're, you're, you're pouring forth. You're, you're looking for people's glasses who, who are empty so that you can, so that you can fill them up with wine. And you're going around, your, your eyes are on the horizon and we're look, you're looking for people who need a refill. And you want to keep the, the, the glass full. And so what Paul is saying to you and I is that, hey, we have the opportunity when, to shine like stars. We have the opportunity to hold forth the gospel that our eyes need to be searching on the horizon at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, in our families, with our friends. Who needs compassion? Let me pour, let me pour some compassion. Let me come alongside you and pour some compassion. Let me pour, let me pour myself. Let me pour the gospel out in your life. Who needs to be served? Who has a need that needs to be taken care of? And what Paul is saying is that we need the gospel in our lives flowing in us so then it can flow out of us, that there's no room, there's no time for it to become stagnant. I mean, looking at that poor, you probably want me as a waiter, right? Um, but, but the gospel, there's no room for stagnant, Right? There, 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 that this wine is not put in this, in this, uh, 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 this container to stay here. It's put in this decanter to pour out. And the gospel is put in us so that we, we, can, we can come and we can, we can have the gospel put in our hearts and it's not meant to stay here, but it's meant to pour out of our lives to be on the search for people who need to hear and experience. That's our whole mission statement is we are here, we're gathered together, we're locked arms to declare and display the freeing power of the gospel, amen? That's why we're here. And that's what Paul is writing about. But he's saying, hey, if, if, if we're not careful, man, we're going to naturally drift to grumbling and complaining. I mean, it's so easy for us to complain about something, right? So easy. I mean, some of us, we're going to get in our cars and we're going to go to lunch. And instead of saying, oh, man, I love that song or what Mark had to say, we're just going to complain about how either hot it was in the auditorium or how cold it was in the auditorium. There's no middle ground in here. But it's so easy for us to drift towards complaining. And what Paul is saying, basically, listen, out of our mouths will come words of grumbling or complaining or the gospel, either curses or blessing. And it's so easy to criticize something or someone. And this is so easy to see in other people. And when we see it, we see it so clearly in other people. And these people are so draining, right? I mean, complaining is draining, is what our life group talked about this week. 
Complaining is draining. It's draining on the soul. It's draining our emotions. Physically, it's draining. We just don't want to be around those kind of people. Guess what? We're those kind of people. Because it's so easy to complain. And listen, God takes complaining seriously. You know, uh, it, from, 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 the, uh, from the Red Sea to the promised land with the people of Israel, God leads them out of captivity. Uh, um, they go up to the promised land. They have their fears. They have their doubts. They don't obey God. And so, but to get there is only a two-week journey by foot. But it takes them 40 years. You know why? Because they grumbled and complained and argued and disobeyed God the whole time. And God would say, give me another lap. Give me another lap. Give me another lap. And finally he says, hey, I'm just gonna let the whole generation die out and we're gonna let the next generation go into the promised land. He takes complaining seriously because complaining and grumbling and arguing, they're counterproductive. And Paul tells us our mission statement is to shine like stars in the night. That's how different it will be. We will stand out and it won't be us that we need to, that we need to be lifting up. It won't be us that we're going to make us famous, not even our church famous. We're going to make the name of Jesus famous. Amen. That's how we live our lives. But the gospel has got to be poured into us so that we can go and pour it in to others. Then third, Paul says we need to pour out our lives in service with joy to the finish. And let's, uh, let's look at these last couple of verses. Verse 16. Let me back up a little. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you heard firmly to the word of life, if you hold it forth. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ. In other words, the day that I pass into eternity, the day I die, that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the, sac on the sacrifice and, and service coming from your faith, and to make a sacrifice, people would make sacrifices to God. And to, in order to complete the sacrifice, they would pour either wine or oil over the sacrifice. And that was to make it a, a pleasing aroma to God. And I know some of you essential oil ladies are like, yes, I knew it. I knew. I knew they were in the Bible. Different kind of oil. He says, but, uh, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ and that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And Paul, he's painting this picture of, uh, of a finish line. And, uh, and, and what's at a finish line? At a finish line, you, you, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if it's the finish line of, you know, of, of a 5K or a half marathon or a full marathon or a retirement party or a graduation. But what's at a finish line is completion, exhaustion, and celebration. Right? Completion, exhaustion, and celebration. I mean, for some of you who have ran a half marathon or, or, or a marathon, I mean, you know what it's like to, the, the exhaustion that comes like, I mean, what I've been told anyway, is the exhaustion 
<laughs> that, and the, the feeling of completion, the exhaustion, and the celebration with family and friends and other spectators. At a retirement party, at a graduation. But Paul, he's using this language to, at the end of life, he's painting this picture of end of life celebration, crossing that finish line at the end of life. And, and, and he says, at the, at, at the end of my life, there's, there's completion that I finished the race that God had for me. And sometimes that race was easy and I was able to keep pace and, and, and walk sometimes and jog sometimes. And sometimes that race was difficult and painful, but I pressed on through, through grace-driven effort. And I got to the end and Jesus says to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, Way to grow in your faith. Way to not give up. Way to pour yourself out. There, there, there's exhaustion that at the end that, that I did it. And I, I, I completed it. I poured myself. I leveraged everything I had. Everything that God gave me, I leveraged it for him. Yes, it was difficult to stay up late with that, with that friend who was going through a hard time. Yes, it was difficult to sacrificially give that much money because we had to go without. We had to cancel our vacation. We had to put off buying a new car because we wanted to leverage our money to, to meet needs and for the kingdom of God. There, there's this exhaustion that, man, and all those conversations, all those uncomfortable conversations about the gospel being poured into me and pouring out and, and about the gospel that Jesus came and he lived the life I can't live and died the death that I deserve. It's exhausting, but it's done. And then there's celebration. There's celebration with Jesus. There's celebration with our family and friends who have gone on before us. There's celebration with those that, that God used us in an incredible, somehow, some way, God used imperfect us to bring others into the kingdom. They're there at the celebration too. And I just want to close with the story, man. Van, why don't you come out and get ready? Uh, and several years ago, I was involved in this uh, outreach with college students. Uh, over spring break, it's called Beach Reach. And we'd have hundreds of college students in, in, in different uh, church groups come to Panama City to do free van rides for thousands of spring breakers and to meet a need, to share the gospel. And, um, and then in the morning, we, we would feed thousands of college students pancakes. And the group that was there that cooked the pancakes for us, they were the Georgia Disaster Relief Team. And they were all senior citizens who were leveraging their retirement to serve Jesus in the kingdom. And Mr. Jimmy was always, the week that I, that I, I was kind of in charge, Mr. Jimmy was always my contact. And we would serve, and Mr. Jimmy, he, he would, right there at the pancake breakfast, we would find Mr. Jimmy circled around at a table with a bunch of hungover college students just sharing the gospel. And uh, the last night, every year he did this. And he'd give me a big hug. And he would say, Mark, and I love you. And if I don't see you again, I'll race you to the finish line. I'll race you to the throne of, uh, the throne of Jesus. Jim, Mr. Jimmy said that to me four years in a row. And the fifth year, Mr. Jimmy didn't show up. Mr. Jimmy passed away. But what an example 
for all these college students. What an example for me of how to leverage your life. And I know that Mr. Jimmy is going to race me to the throne one day. Paul uses his language at the end of his life saying, don't give up, keep running, run to the cross. And he uses this communal language that that we need each other. He's saying we need to lock arms. Just listen to this communal language. He says, but even as I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice for all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That's a picture of locking arms, pressing into the gospel, reminding one another who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We do that in song. We do that in community. We do that during the week. Let's remind each other. Let's remind ourselves who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And let's press on. And let's grow through moments of opposition. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you.